You're tuned in to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. My name is Jack. And I'm Anna. Our show this week is going to cover the theories of Tom Campbell, who is the author of My Big Toe, toe meaning theory of everything. His book unifies general relativity, quantum mechanics, and metaphysics, so it's a really interesting look at the, the sort of meeting point between conventional science and metaphysics. Uh, we are going to be interviewing him next week, which we are really excited about, and we didn't really want to have to go through the basics of his theories in that interview, so we decided to do a primer for you first. So we've put together a collection of excerpts of his lectures to try to introduce you to his concept of the fact that we are living in a virtual reality. So coming up next is a series of excerpts from Tom Campbell on his big toe. Enjoy. In this video, I'd like to talk just a little bit about the, the big picture of what's going on here with, uh, with my big toe, virtual reality, and uh, these physics experiments. You know, what's the, what's the big picture? Well, my big toe is really a theory of consciousness. It's an understanding of what consciousness is, how does it work, you know, what can it do, what can it do, uh, it's a model of existence in that sense, given that consciousness really defines our existence. If we're not conscious, then we're not aware of any existence. So it's a model of existence and a model of consciousness. As it turned out, this model of consciousness had some, some basic logic that built it up, and that same logic started answering questions about physics, about quantum mechanics, about relativity, about tunneling, about other sciences, not all just physics, but other sciences. It started to explain things in our world and in our inner experiences in such a way that we had an understanding of why these things happen. Uh, it made the paranormal normal. If you understand uh, consciousness, then you can understand some of the artifacts of consciousness, such as uh, telepathy, such as uh, intent, things like the placebo effect. How is it that when your intent changes, your health changes, connections between the body and, and mind, all these things then fall out with easy explanations once you understand how consciousness works. It was a surprise that you can also understand most of the big uh, paradoxes in physics and how they work with the exact same logic being applied. Okay, so that's the overstructure. We're talking about consciousness being fundamental and this physical reality of ours being a derivative of that consciousness system. Now I call that system the larger consciousness system and it's an information system, and it computes this virtual reality, and we are pieces of consciousness that play avatars in this virtual reality in order for us to evolve the quality of our consciousness. 
Science would have you believe that consciousness is somehow manufactured in the brain. Matter of fact, they have a name for that process. They call it the hard problem. How the brain manufactures consciousness is the hard problem. Well, the reason why it's such a hard problem is that consciousness is not manufactured in the brain. So trying to prove that it is, is really a hard problem because that's not the way it works. You see, consciousness is the main thing, the fundamental thing. And we in this virtual reality are derivatives of consciousness. We're a virtual reality produced by consciousness. So understanding consciousness as the, as the big thing, the overall thing, the primary thing, the fundamental thing is key to this idea. Well, as long as it stays up in the philosophical clouds, then it doesn't get too exciting and a lot of people say, eh, well, kind of, so what? But once you start to realize that when you understand consciousness, you can understand what's going on in this physical reality. You understand the science better and you understand yourself better. You see, we live in two realms, really. One realm is the objective realm, and that's the realm that science speaks to. The objective realm, you know, this chair, my body, these are objective things. But then we also live in a subjective realm. In the subjective realm is where things such as love and caring and happiness and all of the things, all of the choices and things that you do, all the qualia, all of the sense of what's important and what's not. Most everything in your life that's significant and important lives in this subjective world. It has to do with your relationship. Relationships are primarily subjective. Relationships are the core thing we have here with our interaction with other things, with other people. All of that is subjective. And this, this understanding of consciousness lets you do science, gives you understanding in that subjective realm. You see, science only looks at the objective. If you understand consciousness, you get to understand the subjective and the objective. Both worlds are laid out perfectly clear and logically. One of the things I, I hear in my email are a lot, Tom, thanks a lot for your big toe because now I just learned that I'm not crazy. These are people who have had experiences that just don't make sense. Experiences they just couldn't explain these are subjective experiences, and they just couldn't explain it. And you can't explain away every subjective experience as, oh, that was a, you know, a, 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 you know, a mental problem. You, know, you were hysterical. Uh, none of that actually happened. None of that actually you know, was in your mind. You just think it is. Well, that's a poor excuse. Many people have experiences that they know are just as real, if not more real, than this physical reality and they come away with no explanation. Well, eventually they might convince themselves that maybe they just made it up. Maybe they are mentally ill 
until they understand the significance of that experience, till they understand why that happened, what it what its importance was, what its significance was. You know, why did it happen that way? How did it happen? And what should have been the interaction, the, the response to that? What was, it, what was the lesson? What's important about it? And once they see it as part of a structure of a big picture, well, they're not crazy anymore. It all makes sense. And that's what an understanding of consciousness brings to you. Your world, both inside and outside, both subjective and objective, will then begin to make sense where it didn't before. All the science that didn't make sense becomes sensible science with logical derivatives. And all the internal experiences, your happiness, your struggle, your joy, your misery, all makes sense. Why are you miserable? Why are you happy? It all makes sense when you understand consciousness. Why are you frightened? Why do you get angry? Why do you have these buttons that set you off when, when uh, people push those, those special buttons that uh, give you a very strong emotional reaction? It all makes sense. It's all there for a reason. It's all there for a purpose. And most of it's all there because you put it there even though you don't realize it. So that's the subject for this little video is consciousness is fundamental. And if you understand how consciousness works, you can understand how you work, how the world works, and how you and the world and everybody else interact into one big thing that is all connected. I believe that big strides are about to take place in our quality of consciousness. I believe we're going to grow a lot over the next decade. Now that's for several reasons. One of those reasons is that the physicists are getting more and more positive toward this reality being a virtual reality. That's been growing immensely over the last decade because it is the only viewpoint that really answers the experimental results. So virtual reality is a better explainer of the facts. So that is going to continue to grow. And as that grows, I think that in the near future, again, in the next decade, we're going to see the physicists come to the conclusion that our reality is indeed a virtual reality. Now, when that happens, that carries along some logical consequences. One of those logical consequences is, if this is a virtual reality, then it has to be computed, created, manufactured someplace else. A virtual reality cannot compute itself. The computer has to be outside of the virtual reality that it computes. That leads us to the conclusion that if this is a virtual reality, then we, our bodies, our avatars, and this virtual reality is created in a space that is non-physical to us and a superset of us. In other words, this reality 
is a subset or a, a part of something that is more fundamental and that is non-physical. Well, that's a big step to take philosophically and scientifically. I have done some experiments that will help provide evidence for this big step, for this conclusion, that will help scientists come to that conclusion because if these experiments work out the way that I have predicted, there will be no other conclusion that's rational except that this is a virtual reality. Well, when that happens, it's going to be a worldwide event. And because we have the internet, this information will travel far and wide very quickly. We now all live on internet time, which means things happen socially, intellectually, sociologically, much more quickly than what they used to. So in a decade, we could find ourselves with a whole new understanding of the nature of our reality. All the answers to the big questions will be answered. Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's the point? What sort of reality is this? What's the significance? What should we be doing here? What's important and what's not? Where does morality come from? What is the fundamental difference between good and evil? All the big questions that people have struggled with for years will then have solutions. And it is likely that we will soon be living in a kinder, more gentler world that is more productive and more caring. Tom, your whole theory is based on the concept of virtual reality. And oftentimes you use video games such as World of Warcraft as an example of a virtual reality. But can you tell us the difference, please, between our virtual reality and those virtual realities you use to explain? Sure. First, let me comment on the similarities because there's lots of similarities between those, which is why I use those as an example. All virtual realities have a few things in common. It's just the nature of being a virtual reality. So any virtual reality, whether it's the world of Warcraft or whether it's um, this physical universe that we live in, has these attributes. And that is that the computer computing it can't be inside it. Okay, simple. The computer computing the virtual reality is not a virtual computer being computed by the computer that's computing it. You see, we get into a logical loop there that uh, doesn't make any sense. So the computer has to be non-physical to the virtual reality, that is, outside the, the virtual reality. And the second thing is, is that the player who's playing the character in the virtual reality has to also be non-physical to the virtual reality and be outside of the virtual reality. The player itself that's making the choices for the avatar, that's what virtual reality means. It's a computed reality, so the characters in the computed reality aren't real characters, they're just avatars. And the real player that's playing those can't be inside the virtual reality, it has to be outside the virtual reality. So both the computer and the player have to be external to the virtual reality. That means they have to be non-physical from the perspective inside the virtual reality. And indeed, the computer and the player have to 
be in the same reality because they communicate with each other that's what makes the virtual reality a game the computer and the player are interactive with each other now that's the similarity and like I say all virtual realities share those attributes the differences are in how the virtual reality is actually produced how it's put together that's where all the differences are uh, there can be differences of resolution some virtual realities can look like little stick people that have very jerky motions some virtual realities look very much like our physical reality the motion is smooth and the, you get facial expressions on the characters and so on so there's there's a difference in things like resolution uh, how realistic is it or how abstract is it and a primary difference between the games and our reality is that our reality is an evolved virtual reality it started not with a bunch of programmers that were going to have to create it but it started with a rule set that defines interactions within the reality and some initial conditions which are some constants and then the run button was hit and it started to evolve okay those initial conditions started to change according to the rule set and they continued to change according to the rule set and they changed and they changed and eventually they turn into a virtual reality they evolve characters they evolve the avatars so think of it in terms of the big digital bang the initial conditions are a very uh, dense, very hot ball of plasma. When the run button is hit, that plasma gets to change according to the rule set. The rule set has things like gravity and, and uh, because of the heat and pressure and all those things that we call science as is, is our rule set. So it started to expand and as it expand, some parts of it would cool and as they cooled, you ended up with suns and planets and all the things we have now. That's the evolution of our virtual reality the evolution of our physical universe okay it evolved from initial conditions like the plasma and a rule set now that is not the way the world of warcraft was created it's not the way the sims were created or any of the other virtual reality games we play they were made basically by programmers now they're not all the same either world of warcraft is an older game so everything in World of Warcraft and everything in Sims, because they're both older games, are programmed. A programmer put them there. If you're sitting on a chair in The Sims, that chair was put there by a programmer, just as your person, your, your avatar. Everything in that game had to be created by a programmer. Now, programmers have tools they can copy and then paste, so they don't have to program every tree individually. They can program a bunch of trees and then copy those and paste them to make a whole forest. So they have shortcuts, but all of it is put there because somebody programs it. In our reality, we ended up with this sun, this planet, and life on this planet, and you know amoebas and jellyfish and fish and reptiles and then eventually we you know got primates and us and and now here we are so we evolved over time in this virtual reality we are a product of the rule set 
really the initial conditions and the rule set. So we are constrained by this rule set. Now in the uh, Sims and World of Warcraft, they're also constrained by rule sets. Sims players can't just suddenly get rich because they find gold in the backyard. That's not part of that game. Elves and, and barbarians can't just flap their arms and fly. It's not part of that rule set. So all virtual realities are limited by the rule set. But in our case, ours evolved according to our rule set. In most of our computer games, the rule set was put in place by programmers in order to mimic our physical reality. In other words, things kind of work in our virtual reality games like they do here. There's gravity, everybody isn't floating around, you see. Well, that's mimicking the way it is in our reality, the way our reality evolved. And the characters kind of look humanoids, you know, with heads and shoulders and arms and legs and so on, because that mimics what evolved in ours. So we try to make our virtual realities kind of look like ourselves because that's credible to ourselves. But ours wasn't programmed. It just evolved. And it could have evolved in dozens of different ways, but it didn't. Chance and other things came to bear and it is what it is. Mostly it's because that's the way the rule set is, but sometimes there were choices that could have been made and it could have gone one of you know, 10 different ways. And it just happened to go the way it went and we just happened to be here now having this discussion. So that is the major difference between our virtual reality and say the World of Warcraft or The Sims or some other. Now some of the newer virtual realities also are not programmed in the same way that the older ones were. In other words, every tree isn't necessarily planted where it's going to stay on that map forever. Some of the newer games have procedural programming, which means that what the critters look like, you know, where the trees are, uh, how the river flows, is and all those details are not programmed. They take random numbers, take a random draw, and based on the random numbers, then they create environments. They create avatars and things based on uh, models that they have and variations with randomness. And that then is a much quicker way and a cheaper way to do the programming. Let the computer you know, work out the details rather than paying people to put all those details in there. It's a much more efficient way to go also because you only produce the information that a user wants to use. You don't produce it and keep it. As soon as that avatar looks away, then you no longer compute what he was looking at. It's just gone. You don't save it. When he looks back there, you recompute it because it's just that easy. So that's very similar to the way our reality works as well. Our virtual reality only sends data to a player who needs it. So if you don't need that data, then that data doesn't get sent to you. It's not that um, you know, things disappear because you don't look at them. They were never there in the first place. All those things are virtual. It's just that the computer is not sending me data to show me what's behind me because I don't have eyes in the back of my head, so there's no point in that. It would just be a waste of computer time to try to generate what's behind me 
things that you can't see, the things that are right behind my chair that, that, uh, that you can't see either. Why should the computer generate any of that? There's nobody there that needs that data, that's looking at that data. So it's not that those things disappear because we don't look at them. Those things don't exist. They're just virtual things that have to be computed. Our reality is computed. It's not really made out of little massy things. So those are the differences. Virtual reality is virtual reality, but ours is evolved. Now we do have some universities who do exactly what uh, I was talking about as far as uh, evolving a reality. They start with initial conditions and a rule set, push the run button and let it evolve. And some of those have been evolving in computers, in computer science departments in major universities for years and years and years, and they can do some very interesting and amazing things. Okay, so that, that same strategy, if you will, in producing virtual reality has been done by us many times. It doesn't turn out quite as grand as this one, but uh, that is the way it works. It's a rule set and initial conditions. That's why we're limited. You see, that's why if your avatar, say, has brain damage, gets hit in the head with something that gives him brain damage, the consciousness doesn't get brain damage. The consciousness is the player, but the consciousness now has to play a character that has a lot more constraints. The player can't do things, or maybe the player's in a coma, or maybe the player uh, can't walk or can't remember then the consciousness has to play a character that has those additional constraints. And if those constraints heal and go away, then the consciousness can progressively play more things, you know, has more uh, things that it can do. If they don't, or if they get worse and the avatar dies because of the rule set, then the consciousness's player goes away and they have to go get another player. You see, so the, the consciousness can't just do anything at once. It can only play with the character within the bounds of what the rule set allows. In that way, all virtual realities are the same. Okay, the subject today that I'd like to talk about is why should this matter to me? Okay, we've talked about virtual reality uh, in the last video, so how, why is it important? What's, you know, it's like, what's it to the average guy in the street? Uh, we know that it is a way of modeling reality and that it's competing with a materialistic viewpoint, which is about space, time, energy, mass. And in a virtual reality, you also have time and space is computed energy is computed and mass is computed. Everything's computed. So the only thing they have in common is they both have time. Other than that, they're totally different ways of looking at reality. And one of the interesting things from the scientific viewpoint is that virtual reality solves a lot of the paradoxes of the big mysteries in science. You know, why should particles in quantum mechanics be described as probability distributions? Why should the speed of light be a, a speed limit in this reality frame? Well, why can particles tunnel out of barriers that they should not be able to tunnel out of? And on and on. 
how does entanglement work, and lots and lots of these paradoxes that science just does not understand. And virtual reality gives very rational explanations. But that really doesn't concern the man in the street. He's not really that interested in the details of physics. What's important to the everyday person about virtual reality is that it makes some pretty profound statements about what we're doing here. Why are we here? If you've asked those big questions, you know, why am I here? What's the purpose of life? What's the point of my existence? How do I know, you know, what's right from wrong? How do you uh, know what's ethical and what's not ethical? These are big questions. And people will tell you, well, that ethics thing and that right and wrong, that's all just relative. Some things that are right some places are wrong other places, and it just depends on what people agree to, how they see the world. Well, that's not quite true. There are some absolutes in morality, and there are some absolutes in ethics. And you do have a very specific purpose for being here, for uh, living this life, struggling the struggles uh, that you find yourselves in. And this lifetime is just a lifetime. You are consciousness, and consciousness is immortal. Well, now that's a big one, right? You are immortal because you are consciousness, and consciousness is immortal. Consciousness doesn't die. The avatar dies. You see, in a virtual reality, your body is a computed avatar. And that computation has to occur someplace else or in other, someplace other than here, someplace not physical, because here is physical. We interpret the reality that we're in as physical and the realities that we're not in as non-physical. So, for instance, uh, when we're in a dream, this reality we call physical, the physical universe, doesn't exist. It appears non-physical to us from the dream state. It just doesn't exist in our dream state. And when we're here, this reality seems physical, and our dream reality seems to be non-physical. So physical or non-physical is just a point of view of the observer. So if you are in this physical reality and you are your body, I should say, is just an avatar that's being computed, then that computer that's computing it and that consciousness that's playing that avatar both have to be non-physical. And they also have to be fundamental. You see, if this is a virtual reality, not only is the computer and your consciousness non-physical to you, which means this idea about your brain creates consciousness is wrong, which means you as a consciousness are immortal, but it also means that you have a purpose. You have a point. There's some reason for you being here. Virtual realities don't just exist for the fun of it. They don't create themselves with no purpose in mind. It's a rather large to-do to compute this physical universe, and it wouldn't be done, and the resources wouldn't be used if it weren't important. 
And what is your job here? What is it that, that brings you to this virtual reality as a consciousness to play this physical body that is your avatar? Well, you are supposed to grow up here. You are supposed to improve the quality of your consciousness. You are supposed to evolve your consciousness. You see, the computer and the, and the player are both consciousness. Consciousness is an information system. Part of that information system serves as a computer. Part of that information system serves as your player. Your player is playing because it needs to have experience and make choices. And by the quality of those choices, he either evolves or de-evolves the quality of his consciousness. And because this is a hard thing to do, because it, it means that the, the conscious being, when it makes good choices and learns uh, how to make better choices, it actually becomes a different being at that point. It changes itself, who it is, what it is. It's not a matter of acting. It's not that it needs to act better or act higher quality. It has to be better. And changes in being actually change the being. So you become somebody else. But it's a difficult thing to do to change who you are. It's something that takes a lot of uh, experience and a lot of choices. And we have to learn how to let go of our fear, how to let go of our beliefs, how to let go of our ego in order to grow up. Now, in, in science terms, I call this lowering entropy. Entropy is a measure of disorder. So the more disorder you have then in your consciousness, the more disorder you have in your consciousness, then the higher the entropy in your consciousness or of your consciousness. Okay, the less disorder you have, which means the more information you have, then the lower the entropy is in your consciousness. And we can make a logical connection, which I really don't have time to do this, but maybe we'll do this on the next video. There is a logical connection between lowering the entropy of your consciousness and becoming love, caring about other, letting go of ego, not being self-centered, cooperative with other people, caring, compassion, all of these things are low entropy behaviors, low entropy ways of being. And that's what you're here for, to learn to become love. Not just act loving. Again, we're not talking about acting. We're talking about being. That's why you're here. You are immortal in the sense that when this avatar dies, it's the same as when your avatar in your video game dies. When your elf dies in World of Warcraft, what happens? Well, you either go get a new elf or you resurrect the old one and you get back in the game. And that's the way it's played in real life. When your avatar dies, you get a new one. You have to keep working. Well, why do we need this virtual reality to do that? Because this virtual reality gives us choice. There's moral choice. There's consequences here. Because of the way the rule set that defines this virtual reality works, 
we have lots of choices. It's very interactive. The choices we make affect other people. The choices other people make affect us. Constantly you have new things to deal with. You have new crises. You have new challenges. You have new things to make choices about. And all of these choices will lead to your evolution or de-evolution, depending on whether you make them in a spirit of caring and giving and selflessness, or whether you make them in a spirit of you know, greed, self-centeredness, um, fear, no trust, that side. So that's why you're here. You have multiple opportunities. You are immortal. You have a job to do. You have a mission while you're here. And in performing that mission, instead of looking at life as how can I control the things in my life to make my life turn out to be the way I want it, you know, so that my, my spouse is the way I want my spouse to be, so that my children grow up the way I want them to grow up, so that my boss, you know, does the things for me that I want him to do for me. I want to manipulate everything. I want to control everything I can to make sure things happen the way I want. Well, that's a very dysfunctional way of looking at life, but that's what most of us do. Instead, what you should do is accept the things that come, mostly the things that you cannot control. Understand that most of your reality you cannot control. Accept that. Live with that uncertainty. And what's important isn't the outcome. What's important is how you deal with that thing that's happening to you. How do you deal with that challenge? How do you deal with that pain? How do you deal with that joy? How do you deal with the things that happen to you? Exactly what happens to you, yes, it's still important, but not nearly as important as how you deal with it. You see, that's where the learning comes from. So if we put our focus on accepting those things that we cannot control and dealing with them in a positive, caring, cooperative way, then we will optimize our lessons here. This virtual reality that we live in is a big schoolhouse. It's a place where we come to make these kinds of choices with consequences. That's why we're here. That's why virtual reality means something to everybody. Because if you do that, if you do grow up, if you do become more cooperative, caring, less ego, less belief, less fear, you will find that your life becomes wonderful. You will live in a state of joy. You will be smiling all the time. You will be happy. You will be positive. You will be one of those persons that uh, just is fun to be around because you're very positive and life will work for you. Whatever you need, whatever is important to your growth will just be there just when you need it just in time. So the reality system rewards those who are learning and growing and becoming love. And for those who are full of ego and fear and belief, well, they struggle and struggle and struggle. And every time they think, oh, if I just get this one last thing the way I want it, everything will be great from then on out. 
And of course, if they do get that, they find out it doesn't work like that. Something else comes up. There's another challenge. There's another problem. There's always another challenge and another problem that is difficult and just frustrates you because it's just not the way it's supposed to be. Of course, you know the way it's supposed to be because you have this big ego that thinks, knows everything or almost everything. So, why should it matter? Well, ask yourself, am I happy? Am I having fun? Is this life a blast? Is joy what I feel most of the time? And if the answer is yes, well, you're on your way. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work. But if that's not how you feel, if you feel like you're in a perpetual struggle, you can't ever seem to get where you want. Nobody seems to do the things you, that you know they should do that would be better for everyone. Well, if you're in this soap opera life, just trying to get from moment to moment, dealing with the pain as you have to, then this message is important for you because you could turn your life around and find happiness. You'd find that all your relationships get better with your significant other, with your kids, with your parents, with your boss, all the relationships get better. Everything gets better. So that's why it's important to the guy in the street or the gal in the street, because this will change your life. If you understand the consequences of this being a virtual reality, if you understand that you are consciousness, you're not a body. If you understand that this non-physical world where the computer and consciousness is, is the fundamental reality, and this computed reality is really a manufactured reality, then a lot of things follow as logical consequences to that. And in the end, whether you're a happy person, a happy camper, whether you're enjoying your life, or whether you're miserable and you're struggling and just can't seem to get it to work for you, well, those are the differences between people who are evolving positively and those that aren't evolving at all or are evolving negatively. So that's why it's important to the man in the street. It means everything. It's important. And the more you understand how this works, the easier it will be for you to change who you are and become that happy person. Now, I've made a lot of assumptions here, things that sound like assumptions, putting things together, like low entropy has to do with becoming love. But all of these are actually logically derived. This is all part of the science of MBT. MBT, my big toe. These are all part of the science of MBT. And there's logic behind all of these statements. I just don't have the time to derive them all logically in this 10 or 15 minute video. So you can find it in the books. The books are on sale wherever books are on sale. And if you don't want to buy them, they're free on Google Books. I have hundreds and hundreds of videos on YouTube. And if you'd like to find out more about the facts or how to derive these, these ideas, then go to YouTube and watch those videos. I'd like to talk to you today about some of the things 
that you can do with your consciousness. Some things that you may not know that you can do with your consciousness. You see, in this virtual reality, we are actually co-creators of this reality. And we co-create in many ways. One is just in the way we interpret things. Something happens and we have an interpretation of what happens. Other people see the same thing and they have a different interpretation of what happens. That means everybody lives in their own personal reality based on our interpretation. So in that way, you create your own reality through interpretation. Another way you create your reality is by your interactions. For example, if you are a user of people, hard to get along with, uh, mean-spirited, then what you create is a world where people will try to avoid you, where you won't be liked, you won't be invited, and you won't be welcome because you're not a nice person. And you create this reaction to yourself because of your choices, your, your actions. So that's another way you create your reality. And a third way you create your reality is the way this virtual reality works is that your intent modifies future probability. So what is likely to happen in the future, your intent can make it more likely or less likely. You have that ability to modify future probability. Now, one of the ways that, that this happens, all of us have heard of it, is called the placebo effect. If you tell somebody that they're taking a wonderful new medicine that will fix what's wrong with them, just by doing that and nothing else, just by telling them that and giving them a salt pill or a sugar pill or something that has no medicine in it whatsoever, will make a difference in their health. And many, many studies have, have, uh, have looked at this. And if there's a control group in which you just didn't tell them anything, you just gave them a pill and said, yeah, go swallow this and see what happens. You know, if that is the uh, control group, then the people who have a very positive attitude, their health will be better than the control group. You see, it's called the placebo effect. You can look it up. It's a real effect. It's not just that those people who had the positive outlook think they're healthier and really aren't. They really are healthier. You see, it's, it's a real thing. That's because that positive intent toward better health actually helps move the probability for better health a little higher and the probability for poor health a little lower. That's us modifying future probability. Now, you can use your mind with this intent to change health or most anything else that's probable. But because we're talking about probability, things that are, oh, let's say things that have a lot of uncertainty around them, they could go this way, they could go that way. It's not very certain about how they're gonna work out. Those are the things that are easier to affect with your mind because you can move that probability only within the natural uncertainty of the problem, you see? So any problem, any issue, anything, whether it's health or whether it's, whether it's gonna rain tomorrow, has a certain amount of probability that, you know, that that will happen. And if that probability 
has a fair amount of uncertainty in it. In other words, they don't really know for sure. Maybe the probability is a 0.6 versus a 0.4 or a 0.52 versus a 0.48, you see. That has a lot of uncertainty in it. Therefore, that's easier for you to affect with your intent. If the probability is a very strong one, say 100,000 to 1 that something's going to happen, well, you can use your intent and maybe you can change that probability all the way down to only 1,000 to 1. Well, you changed it two orders of magnitude. Wow, you're a real strong changer of probability, but it's still not likely to happen because it's still 1,000 to 1, you see. So it's not that you can make anything you want happen, but you can modify the probable future. Now, how do you do this? You do it with an intent, but the intent isn't effective if it's an intellectual intent, if it's something you're thinking. That's only making a wish. It's like throwing your penny in the wishing well and say, oh, I wish for you know a new teddy bear and a new bicycle. That's not very powerful. The intent has to come from the being level, from the core of you, from the center of your being. It needs to have power and not just be a, a wish the power, you have to have a connection, you have to have some feeling, some emotion, some investment in this. It's not just a casual thing, it's something that means something to you. Yes, you can heal yourself as well as others. Yes, you can hurt yourself as well as others. Intent just changes probability. You can use this in many ways, but it's an interesting fact to know that you have three ways in which you get to change your reality. One, you get to interpret things. And if you interpret everything as miserable and unhappy and not the way you like it, in other words, if you're a complainer and you see the dark side of things, your life will be full of unhappiness and misery and difficulty. If you look at those same things and you see the positive side in it, then you will tend to be a happier, lighter, you know, more satisfied and fulfilled individual. That's just your choice of how you want to see things. And you also have to learn that however you make those choices, they're your choices. You can't say, oh, that person made me angry. So-and-so did that and that makes me angry. No, don't blame your anger on somebody else. If that person makes you angry, that's not what's going on. That person does something and you choose to be angry. So you have to take the responsibility for your choices. You have other options. You don't have to get angry. There are other choices in responding. But if you have too much ego, too much fear, too many beliefs, then you'll probably just get angry because that's what a person with a lot of fear, ego, and beliefs does. If you get rid of that fear, ego, and belief, then you'll have lots more choices that don't have anything to do with anger. Constructive choices. That's why getting rid of that fear, ego, and belief will improve your relationships, will improve all of your connections to everyone in your life. So, we get to make our reality partially, not only partially. Other people also have 
free will to make choices and you are affected by their choices. So you can't control everything, only part of it. But that part of it you can control is pretty powerful once you learn how to focus your intent from the being level. Empty your mind, get rid of all the noise in your consciousness, usually meditation is the way you do that, and have a clean, clear, powerful focus. Now there's other things that you cannot overcome, as well as other people's choices. You can't force other people to have different choices, and you can't force the rule set to be different than it is. So if a rock is rolling downhill, you can't just use your intent and say, stop rock, roll uphill. I want you to roll uphill. That won't work, you see, because now you're trying to uh, kind of change the rules under which the virtual reality works. Gravity's part of the virtual reality rule set and rocks roll downhill when they, when they roll on their own. They roll downhill, not uphill. So you can't change the rule set. You can't change you know, the way uh, things are going to happen that way, but you can change an awful lot just by growing up, getting rid of your fear, getting rid of your ego, developing your being level, developing your love and caring, and applying that to be helpful and cooperative with others. And your whole life will change and become a very positive, very happy, very fulfilling life. So the bottom line here is you do have some control over the reality you live in. And the biggest contribution you can make to this reality that you live in is to change yourself. If you want to know how to save the world from all of the greed and nastiness in the world, the biggest thing you can do, the most important and significant thing you can do is to change yourself, grow up, get rid of your fear, ego, and belief, and that will maximize your contribution to this world. Because by you doing that, you will help lots of other people with who you have contact do the same thing. As an example, and because we are all netted, this consciousness is netted. Every consciousness is in the net. What we do and how we think affects other people. If you'd like to change the world, if you're tired of all of the greed and abuse, people using people, corporations using their customers and their suppliers and everybody else to accumulate more and more wealth, if you really don't like the self-centeredness and the nastiness that we find here, instead of the love and peace and caring that we'd like to find here, well, the way you go about changing the world is by changing yourself. All the negative things that you see going on in the world that are upsetting to you are symptoms. They're symptoms of a low quality of consciousness. They're symptoms of a high entropy consciousness. Once we understand that this is a virtual reality, once these experiments are done and help verify that this is a virtual reality, once we as a people or as a race understand our purpose 
as consciousness is to grow up and evolve our quality, then people will begin to change. And as people change, these symptoms of low quality of consciousness will change all by themselves. You see, it's the quality of consciousness that's the problem, not the dictator, not the uh, president and CEO of the corporation that's abusing people, not the politicians. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem is low quality of consciousness. Doing these experiments, showing that this is a virtual reality, understanding what that means in terms of who we are and what's important and what's not in terms of growing up and decreasing our entropy, increasing the quality of our consciousness, becoming love, caring about other people. This is what will change the world. If we want to live in a kinder, gentler world, we have to change ourselves first. So you've been listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. Hopefully you enjoyed the content of the show. Hold on to your hats because next week is going to be a live interview with Tom Campbell. And if you want to do some more research in the meantime on Tom Campbell and his theory of everything, just go to our website, shifthappens.media, and as always, we will be posting more information about the show. See you next week.